I read the ESV for us as well. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing to your name. And then again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even as he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Last week we saw from verses 1 to 7, and uh, we've been in the theme of loving others, our fellow brothers, Christians, for the past few weeks, um, especially from chapter 12 to 14, that was what the theme was. And it focused on different types of situations in how we love. And last week we began with Romans 15. And Romans 15, the first part that we saw, took us a step further. It showed us why we are to love others. And what we've been speaking of, of before, that was uh, showed here in this text where it shows us how Christ has loved us and how he has saved us. And that is exactly what he's done for us. And therefore, that is why we have to love others. And it's, we basically saw the whole great work of redemption that God has done for us. And so uh, we saw that last week. And today we will see how this great work of redemption was promised in scripture and how it transforms us. So we'll see how this work of uh, redemption was promised in scripture and how it transforms us. That is what uh, uncle read to us from this passage a while back. Uh, Paul explains to the readers, uh, to both the Gentiles and the Jews, what God's redemption plan for them is, and that it was confirmed by promises, that it was not something that God was, which was an after plan, especially the whole bringing in of the Gentiles, was not an after plan, but that it was planned by God, and it was confirmed by the patriarchs. That means written in the Old Testament by Moses and Abraham and other prophets, uh, by the Isaiah, whom he quotes as well, by the prophet Isaiah. And that the whole of it was that both the Jews and the Gentiles would be found and that they would have hope in Christ Jesus. That was the whole thing that Paul is trying to remind the church in uh, Rome. And this saving of the Gentiles and the Jews, he further goes on to show, is God's act of mercy, which the church in Rome quickly forgets. And this is the act of mercy we often quickly forget. And oftentimes we have distinguishes amongst ourselves, be rich or poor or uh, by the different types of backgrounds we come from or maybe our ethnic backgrounds or financial backgrounds, all of these things uh, we use to differentiate ourselves. Whereas what Paul is showing, and uh, if you all were there in the Bible study this week and when we did Ephesians, what we saw there as well, is that there is no Hebrew or Greek or Jew, all is one in Christ Jesus and that how Christ has planned all of this to unite all of us together. And so Paul is reminding the church in Rome about this. 
Uh, and this passage reveals to us how God has purposed all of this and done it. It's not an afterthought. It's not that the Jews are saved and now God is thinking, how should I save the Gentiles? Let me try of thinking of something. But this shows us that God before time has planned all of these things to come to pass. So therefore, I want you to rejoice knowing that God knew who you were and he chose you and that you were not here in his presence or in Christ Jesus by chance. But it is because he knows who you are. And that joy, which you find in Jesus, should help you walk in boldness and joy and to walk in righteousness and in truth. So how does this work of Christ cause us to respond in love towards others or towards God himself is a question that we should ask. So if you look at this passage that we're reading, we will see three truths from this passage that helps us to be transformed and also respond in the right way that God has asked us to respond. So the first point that we can see in verses 8 and verses 9, part of verses 9, is that Christ became a servant to fulfill the promises to the circumcised and to the Gentiles. Now, in case uh, for those who are new to uh, the Bible language and you don't know what Gentiles are, Gentiles are uh, the not promised people who are not the people of Israel. The Israel were the Jews and Gentiles were everyone else who Jesus saved and through his work were also brought into a work of redemption. And therefore, through the work of Jesus, we also are not Jews, are Gentiles, were brought into his kingdom. And so God did this. What we first can clearly see is that something that he has promised. It is not an afterthought. It is not that he got stuck with one people and he wanted more people. But it is something he has promised, something he prepared beforehand for all people to come to him. This is something God planned before the foundations of the earth. Uh, those who are studying Ephesians in the week, you all can see how all of that is kind of interconnecting here. What we saw there is in a way actually connected here as well. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. We see that, uh, I'm going to read that again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will. So it was God who chose us in him before the foundations of the world to even remain holy and blameless. And all of this is an act of love that God has done towards us. Why is this an act of love? And of course, Paul is first speaking to the church in Ephesus, which again is a mix of people over there, um, just like the church in Rome. So we are the Gentiles now who are later on who can understand this. And because the word of God is for us, we can understand this as well. So how is this love to us? It is love because we didn't deserve it. It is love because we were lost and dead in sin. It was love because God chose us even though we don't deserve to be loved. Yet he chose us and he set his love upon us. And so not only was this act of who will be saved and of God saving his people, all of this 
this whole redemption plan before the foundation of the world, but also the whole work of Christ set before the foundation of the world. That is, Jesus coming to die was also planned before the foundation of the world. Some of you might be wondering if I'm making this all up or if this is there in the Bible. And so let's go to 1 Peter 1 verses 19 to 20. The reason we are trying to look at this is not to fill our heads to see how much scripture we know. The reason we look at this is so that we understand how much God loves us. That should be the purpose of why we're looking at. That is my purpose for helping you look at this text and to understand this. 1 Peter 1 verses 9 to 20. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. The writers of Hebrews is saying that all this was planned before, and the, before the foundation of the world was made manifest, but it is now in the last time that it actually took place for your sake. And another clearer verse is Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. This is basically the book of Revelation about the end times. And so this is talking about those who are taking the mark of the beast. So that's the context of what's happening. And then the writer, John, is going further to say this in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones who have, whose name were not written in the book of life. Those are the ones who took the mark of the beast, were worshipping the beast, whose name was not in the book of life. In the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the foundation of the world, or who was slaughtered before the world was made. When was Christ sacrificed? As Peter says, he was made manifest in the last time. But this was planned before the world was made, or before the foundations of the world. It was manifested later on for us. For us, all of this is in the past. But what the Bible is saying is that God planned this even before the foundations of the world. Do you know what this also means? This also means that God knew every single sin you and I would commit. Every time you would reject him. Every time you would mock him. And yet he went and died in our place. And yet he showed his love towards us. How many of us would do that? If you knew someone is going to ditch you, would you continue to love that person? Your next thing is leave and go. End of story. No more connection between us. Or oh, I'm not going to love you further. Do you see where the Christian act of walking in love and being sacrificial in love comes? Because that's what Christ did for us on the cross. That is what God himself has done for us. No one in all of creation can compare with this love. Our God, in accordance to whom all of creation responds, gives, lets go of his glory and steps down for sinners like you and me. If this does not baffle you, if this does not draw you in awe with your maker, you have not understood the greatness of his love. If there's something else that you feel, this is okay, but there's something better, you have not understood the greatness of God's love towards you. And so for those of us who do know this, I would want you to draw closer in beauty and in love with what God has done for you. 
in his love, in his act of saving you. All other works of creation, even healing or deliverance or prosperity or anything else you can put there, are all nothing compared to this, where God saved wicked sinners who are undeserving like you and me. And so we should not make Christ less. In doing so, when you make other things better than this act of salvation, we make less of God. And therefore, church, we are not to make less of God. We must remember that he is both the lion and he is the lamb. Sometimes we'd be so drawn with this whole love of God that we forget that he is also a soon and coming king, that he is also a lion, and yet he is willing to lay down his life for people like us. And for the sake of having this relationship with him, we must not strip him of his majesty. For example, if you were to come in contact with one of his creations, a lion, or a cobra, what do you think is going to happen to you? A wild lion, a cobra. Are you going to go back unhurt and alive? There would be some harm that would happen to you, right? That is just a creation of a holy God. Imagine if you would stand before the holy God himself, what's going to happen? But it is because of the work of Christ that we are able to come. Both Jews and Gentiles. You see, this is what Paul is trying to tell the church in Rome. This is what the word of God is reminding us as well. This is both beautiful for us at the same time. If we reject God, this is frightening for us as well. The God who made the galaxies, the God whom each star obeys, loves people like you and us. The verse says over there, he stepped down as a servant. That is what God did. The God who created everything that you see. What did you do or what did I do that deserved this love? Nothing. We didn't do anything deserving of this love. And so my question is, how then should we respond to our maker? How then we should respond to God? That brings us to the second point. The one who does receive God's love, who has been saved by him, will glorify him. We see that actually in verse 9 itself. The answer is there. It says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. God did this, this act of saving both the Jews and the Gentiles, so that they might glorify God. The reason God has saved you and me is so that we might glorify God. It is for his glory alone that he has saved us. So those who truly are transformed glorify God. And this is the beauty because when what I just told you before, that is if that seems beautiful for you, then all you can do is glorify him. All which you can think of doing is glorify him, to live for him, for his purpose. If that does not look beautiful to you, then all you can think of is everything else but him. He will just be an agenda on a Sunday morning to come and attend a Zoom call. That's all he will be on a Sunday morning to come and sit in church. Through the week, you would not remember him. Through the week, you would forget him. Through the week, he'd be just another Sunday morning agenda for you, just like everything else you do. 
But if you truly love him, if his love has transformed you, then you will glorify him. Now, some of you might say, I'm not a very feeling-based guy, you know. I'm not very expressive. This is how I am. So therefore, there's no extra love that comes out because that's how I am for everything. I was one of those guys who would say that because I was, even now, I'm not always very expressive. But a person who says that actually lies. And so when I have said that in the past, I've actually lied. You know why? Get in an argument with me. You will see my feelings. Get in an argument with a person who says I have no feelings. See whether he has feelings or no. Or maybe watch that person watch a cricket match or maybe buy something which they like, depending what's close to them and see how interested they are. Or give them the best uh, gift that they want and see how their face lightens up. So there is no man who says they have no feeling. Every man and woman has feelings. There is no people who think that they are not very expressive types. All of us, we may have different levels of it, but all of us have it. And we, of course, show to certain things a lot of expression. How much more to the maker of the universe who has saved us. And so we need to understand all this work that God has uh, done for us. Imagine this whole salvation thing that we're listening to, the work of salvation for us at times might sound like something you've been hearing from childhood. So imagine it as a real life event. For us, it might be more of like a theological book knowledge and not an actual event that has happened. I know a lot of us, for you, it is a real event in your life. It has changed the course of your life. And therefore, your zeal and your love for God is real. And therefore, you pursue because the Holy Spirit has given you that desire and because the Holy Spirit works upon our hearts to give us that desire and therefore, we follow him. But for some, it is just a book knowledge. And why is that happening? I want to compare this with something, a real situation in life. A lot of us stay here on Mira Road, so I want to use that example. Imagine you're traveling in a train on a crowded day. And it's really crowded. You couldn't get into the train and you're hanging into the on the train and you're at the edge, you're hanging. All of us who have traveled in the Mumbai local trains knows how it is if you're hanging at the edge. What happens? You're trying to push in, but people are pushing you out. And so you're stuck over there. And so you think you're going that way and the train has left the station, you're still hanging. And there you this between this Daisar and Mira Road, there's a bridge that comes in between. It's called a river, but it's more of like a slushy, wormy, dirty thing. If anyone would go into it, he would never come out. There's no place to come out because there aren't any proper ground that you can see. All you can see is just slush down there. And imagine you go and at that time you fall in that place and you, you see yourself drowning in that slush. And then there's someone who comes nearby who sees you and he throws a rope and he asks you to catch and you hold on and then he asks for help and he tries and pulls you out. He saves you. People come and rescue you and you're out. Do you think your feelings are going to be, I don't have much feeling, I'm okay. Thank you for saving me, I'm going home, bye. And you just go back. Your life would be transformed. Your life would be jolted at that point. There would be something at that event that would be always that you would remember. There, it would be a stamp that's in your head that you would never forget. The work of salvation is a thousand times greater than that because this was just your physical life going through that time. But what God has done is your spiritual life 
he has granted you eternal life. Where we were to go to eternal death, he has granted us eternal life. And so therefore, how much more would we reciprocate love towards God? And so if you actually look towards this passage, you see that people who are transformed will live for his glory. We sang songs in the morning, right? About his praise and of his glory. That is what people do. And so in, in the passage, Paul, what he's doing is he's quoting from the Old Testament of promises which show how the Gentiles will react and how the Jews will react of what God has done for them. And in all these points, you can see how we as Christians who are truly transformed will react as well. Because the same act of salvation for them is the same act of salvation for us as well. And so the first um, verse you can see over there in verse 9, the last part of it, it says, Therefore I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing of your name or sing to your name. That is what we did in worship this morning. We sang of his name, of his beauty, of his salvation. And so that was a reciprocation of his saving work upon our life. We praised him. Some of you all prayed and some of you all read Psalms and you all praised him. If you are knowing Christ, that his love is transforming you, you would want to tell of it, right? You'd want to speak of his love. And so therefore, when we are praying, you would praise his name between the songs. And that's why we praise. We don't sing the songs because that is what we are to do. We sing it because of what Christ has done for us. Do you understand the connection between it? Of course, God has come, commanded us to come on a Sunday morning and to worship. That is what we are to do on the Lord's Day. But that is not the reason why we always should come. The reason behind why God has commanded is because he has transformed our life. Is because he has given us a new life, because he has changed us, because he has saved us. And therefore that should draw us in beauty and in love towards him. And in singing and in praise, it should reciprocate out of our life. And then we see that in verse 10 as well. Paul is again quoting on the Old Testament. He says, rejoice, O Gentiles. And in verse 11, he says, praise the Lord, extol him. And he quotes from the Isaiah, the prophet. He says, and he speaks, speaking of the coming of Jesus, he says, hope in him. Is this how we are reacting to God? If this is how we are reacting, then that is beautiful. Then we should ask the Holy Spirit, would you help us to love you more? Would you help us to rejoice more in my times of suffering? Would you help me to extol your name even more? Would you help me to hope in you alone more? But if your life is just nothing compared to this, if it's everything else but this, then this is how it should look. Because this is synonymous with us understanding ourselves as Christians. A Christian cannot do anything but rejoice in the hope that God has given him. A Christian can do nothing else but extol his name. A Christian can do nothing else but hope in Christ Jesus. There is no Christian in the Bible. You can sit with your Bible and you can search it. There is no Christian who says, I don't rejoice in Jesus. There is no Christian who says, I don't hope in Jesus. There are many people today who call themselves Christians, who do not hope in him, who do not rejoice in him. Where has that thought come from? Not from the Bible, from the world. 
and this modern understanding from the world should not clog our minds. And so therefore we should go to the Holy Spirit and come to him in prayer. And some of you might be, I know that I myself have been gone through seasons and there are seasons of low times, there are seasons of dryness that we go through. And so some of us might feel that um, I am not feeling this, this feeling does not come. And so what I would ex uh, tell you is what I would encourage you, what I've learned from scripture and what people have taught me is that pray to God and ask God to fight the sin in your heart. Because what that not feeling joy towards God, a lack of rejoice is not, there is no middle ground in Christianity. There is either you're in or you're out. So this lack of joy is actually sinfulness. A lack of an extolling heart is sinfulness. A lack of not hoping in Christ Jesus, but hoping in your jobs or your parents or in every other thing that is there in your life is actually sinfulness. And therefore you should ask God to give you a desire for him, a want for him, a zeal for him. And some of you might be, I'm trying it, but it's not happening. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So my question to you is from the Bible. The Bible's question to you and me is, are we resisting sin to the point we are shedding blood? And I'll answer that for me and for you. No, because that's not what's happening here. So we are to fight hard, we are to fight till the end. This fight is not something that will finish somewhere in between. This fight is till the end, this fight is for all of us. And therefore, let us continue to walk in righteousness. Let us continue to walk in truth. Let us continue to seek his love. Let us continue to glorify him. And let us continue to stop being in the state of being lukewarm and being try and want to seek Christ Jesus and his glory. Which brings us to the third point and the last point. It is God who fills your heart with joy and peace to believe. And it is the Holy Spirit who helps you abound in hope. I'm saying it again. It is God who fills your joy, your heart with joy and peace. And it is the Holy Spirit who helps you abound in hope. We see this in verse 13. By the way, the previous point was from verses 9 to verses 12. And this was this point is in verse 13. I want to read that verse for us. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Who fills you with all joy and peace in believing? Who is this? May the God of hope. He is the one who fills you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, now this is the third person of the Trinity, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So how do you abound in hope? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to seek God that we may abound in hope, that we may feel this joy, that we may feel this uh, peace within our hearts. Peace, um, you know, a lot of us as Christians have this misunderstanding of peace. It's because that's what we've drawn from the world. Peace is not us sitting on a beach and having 
sewed up and enjoying life that is not peace peace is through the hard times psalms 23 even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil that is biblical peace and so that is what when he means peace over here through the suffering through the trials through the hardships finding hope and peace in god if you are able to doing that christian that is because christ has enabled that for you through the working of the holy spirit you're doing that isn't this beautiful he not only saves us like we saw but he also gives us all that we need to pursue in the walk of our christian walk and so that is what the writer here is showing to the church in rome what paul is showing to the church in rome that is what we can see in this text as well and then uh, i want to especially focus on what the holy spirit does he helps us to walk in this walk he is the helper who helps us to walk in this walk he helps us to abound in hope and joy and this is in connection to romans chapter 15 the same passage we are seeing but verse 4 what we saw last week this is what it says for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scripture we might have hope so in verse 3 in verse 4 it says that through scripture and through the encouragement of scripture we might have hope and in verse um 13 it says it's the holy spirit who helps you abound in hope are you able to connect the two the holy spirit through the word of god which is active which is sharp which is alive gives you hope often times when we understand the holy spirit uh, especially from us people who are from uh, a charismatic background we only connect him to uh, speaking in tongues deliverance uh, prophecies all of these kind of things healings those are the only things you can think of when you talk the holy spirit what does the bible say about the holy spirit i want to take us to uh, john chapter 15 by the way all those things which i said are good things but those are not the things that is not the primary work why the holy spirit has come john chapter 15 was 26 chapter 16 was 7 to 15 john chapter 15 verses 26 and chapter 16 was 7 to 15 this is what john says but when the helper comes whom i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth so he's the helper the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father which means he comes from the father he will bear witness of me who is speaking jesus is speaking the john is of course writing but jesus is speaking and he says the helper that is the holy spirit who will come he will proceed from the father he will bear witness of me i'm going to read from chapter 16 or 7 to 15 Nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I do go I will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world of of sin and of righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment 
because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Now when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, this is the primary work of the Holy Spirit, which we see here clearly. Where Jesus says when he comes, this is what he will do. What is it? He will bear witness of Christ. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will guide believers into all truth. He will glorify Christ. And he will declare the truth of God to us. That last part is what Paul is talking about in this chapter. That through the word of God, that is what he means by declaring the word of truth. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, convicts us, draws us to holiness. Helps us to abound in peace or in hope through the word of God. He does that. How often are we heard of the Holy Spirit in this way? How often has it been talked about him, about everything else but this? Therefore, I want us to understand that how the Holy Spirit works. And if you saw clearly through all of this, the first thing we saw was that it is God who saves us sovereignly. The next thing we saw is that he gives us the means to live and love him and gives us all these desires in our hearts. And that two Christians show those desires. And then what we can also see here is that the Trinity works together for the means of salvation. It is Jesus who died in our place. It was Jesus who started the act of salvation or who went through this whole act of salvation. But it was the Father also who worked, who speaks, and it is the Holy Spirit who helps us to abound in hope. And so all three of them work with saving sinners like you and me. So therefore, church, I want us to be encouraged to live for the glory of Christ Jesus. I want us to be encouraged to live for the audience of one, and that is him alone. And let us focus our life to Christ Jesus alone. Let, so let us take a few minutes and check our hearts and see, am I responding with like how, this, how, how the Old Testament says that's a revelation of how we are to respond? Is that how I am responding? And if you're one of those who I was just talking about before, where you have no feelings, you just come up here on Sundays and you're gone, then ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and to draw you to truth. And I would say, like the Bible says, that until the point you're bleeding, you have not fought sin. That does not mean you go and take your life. That's not what the Bible is saying, because that is sin in itself. That means you fight sin so hard. That's trying to make uh, a comparison of how you fight sin. And so church, let us take a few minutes and quieten our hearts and rejoice in this love that God has for us. And at the same time, look and test our hearts to see if we truly love him. And if in case we are not, let us come to him with joy and in boldness. So let's take two minutes and quiet in our hearts and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, we want to come to you this morning and we want to thank you for sending Christ in our place who is a perfect sacrifice 
because of whom which we have eternal life. We want to thank you for the gift on the cross. We want to thank you for saving us. We thank you, Lord, that we were not an afterthought, but you thought of us before the foundations of the world. That your love for us was set way before even we were born, even before we could do anything good or bad. You chose to set your love upon us. Lord, we want to thank you that, that you also don't just save us and leave us that way. You give us new desires to love you. You, you have given us the word of God through which we can understand the truth, through which your Holy Spirit works upon our hearts and transforms us. Help us not to neglect your word. Help us to draw closer to your word and to you to understand the truth that you have for us. And help us to understand this plan of salvation, how all of Trinity works in saving us. And help us to keep you at the center and you as a focus. Lord, would you also help this love not only stay within us, but help us to reciprocate it to you and to your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, into the family that you have placed us in, the larger church family which you have put us in. And so, Lord, we pray that in all of this, may your name be glorified, as you've said in your word, and may your name be lifted high for the glory of your name, Lord. Help us to wait and long for your coming. Help us to live for the day of your coming to be with you, O God. And help us to prepare our hearts for the coming of the King Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Join with me as I read the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain upon you. And all the same said. Amen. 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 Amen.